0: It was just another night shift at PGO's when Bev's trajectory crossed with mine. The pact between Linda, Andrea, Jill, and me had stuck, and in less than a month, I'd be making my third trip to Drummond Island. I needed to make some extra money, so I'd offered to be first in, which meant covering the bar and keeping the tips until a bartender arrived. I just punched in, and there she was, blonde, skinny, wearing a dress with big abstract splotches and perched on a bar stool like a tropical bird. Beverly Cynthia Mary Marcia Wojciechowski, pronounced, I'd learn soon enough, like, where's your house key? Bud Light Draft is a dollar nine, right, she'd said, pushing a procession of coins my way with a bony index finger. An exchange of money and conversation over a blue Formica bar now seems as likely a place as any other to meet your best friend. Like me, Bev lived only a few miles from PGO's. She was a frequent customer, and while I'd seen her often, I had never really talked to her before that night. She may have forgotten much of this now, I don't know, but I remember how, over that border of blue, we shared the details of our lives. I was married with young children. She was divorced with grown children. I worked nights as a bartender and waitress. She worked days as a legal secretary. I'd gone to college after high school. She'd gone to Texas after her divorce. I was 33. She was 51. You're a Sagittarius, aren't you? She'd asked me. I didn't put much stock in astrology, yet was impressed she'd guessed me right on her first try. Me too, she'd said, slapping the bar in triumph. We're exactly alike. It would be months before I would reveal this to Bev, but before I met her, I felt a bit friend incompetent. Linda, Andrea, and Jill were solidly in my life, yet it was still my way to keep everyone, even the three of them, at a distance. There were reasons for that, blips I thought of as unavoidable grooves worn into the friend-making receptors in my brain. My family had moved around a lot when I was growing up. Every year, in fact, for one long stretch. So all of my early friendships had been temporary. Colleen, Doreen, Jolene, Carrie, Mary, Sherry. My childhood friends had blended into a hazy summer carousel of braids, cut-off jeans, and banana seat bicycles. In junior high, I was so inseparable from Mike, neighbor girl who shunned the glam of Michelle. That instead of knocking on her front door, I'd stand inside her open garage and call out her name. I was a year older than she was, which matters when you are 12 and 13, and high school eased us apart. As a freshman, I was skinny and shy, but by senior year, I was a tall, curvy, wide-eyed floater with fashionably feathered hair and a love of books. I studied in the library with the brains, made varsity in two sports with the jocks, talked boys, music, and clothes with a few of the popular girls, snuck beers with the partiers and joints with the burnouts. I let anyone who wanted to copy off my test papers and was certain I fit in everywhere. Then one Saturday night, the most popular of the popular girls arranged a sleepover to confront an unacceptable person in their midst. I was thrilled to be invited. I remember feeling mystified by the gathering yet mindlessly in favor of it, too. I can still smell the Aquanet superhold in that cavernous bedroom. Casey Kasem was counting down to the number one song of 1980. He announced what it was with great fanfare, Call Me by Blondie, just as my own life bottomed out, because, psych, I actually fit in nowhere. It was me. I was the unacceptable one. Too selfish, they said, too self-involved, and I live too much in my head. As Debbie Harry's voice raged from a boombox, those girls told me I didn't know how to be a friend. The tiny table the radio sat on had looked so perfect, even if it was just two milk crates draped with a musty lace tablecloth. The girls I thought were my best friends would not be calling me anymore. I called my mom instead to come and pick me up. I changed my mind, I told her over the phone.